0: I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. Scientists have known for at least a decade that people who can't hear well are more likely to suffer cognitive decline. This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon.
1: It seems sensible that correcting hearing impairment would help people maintain better cognitive function, but until recently, no one had tested that intervention. Our
0: guest today helped lead the ACHIEVE study that demonstrated how well hearing aids can help
1: preserve cognitive function. Hearing aids are pricey. Are the new over-the-counter devices a cost-effective option? A Consumer Reports journalist offers her scientific assessment.
0: Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, find out if you can stay sharp through better hearing.
1: In The People's Pharmacy health headlines, Cases of influenza continue to rise. The Southeast is being hit particularly hard. States reporting high levels of influenza-like illness include Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, and South Carolina. Other states that are beginning to see an increase in cases include Arkansas, California, Maryland, New Jersey, North Carolina, Tennessee, and Texas. Fewer people have received flu shots this year than in some previous years. Experts predict that the vaccine is a good match for the H1N1 influenza A strain that's circulating now. Given the holiday travel, cases are likely to soar in coming weeks.
0: Until COVID-19, life expectancy in the U.S. had been rising gradually. That changed in 2020. Overall, life expectancy dropped from 79 years in 2019 to 76 years in 2021. In terms of population statistics, that's a huge drop. Even more alarming, however, is the difference in life expectancy between men and women. In 2021, women had a life expectancy of a little more than 79 years. Men, however, could expect to live only a little longer than 73 years. That gap, nearly six years difference, is the widest in over two decades. The authors of this research letter and JAMA Internal Medicine attribute the higher death rate of men primarily to COVID-19 and the drug overdose epidemic.
1: Alcohol use disorder affects more than 28 million Americans who have trouble stopping after one or two drinks. Uncontrolled alcohol consumption contributes to illness and even death. Doctors often don't know quite how to help people who want to drink less or stop altogether. A new analysis in JAMA reviewed data from 118 clinical trials with more than 20,000 participants. These demonstrated that oral naltrexone, and acamprosate can both be helpful. The number needed to treat, or NNT, to keep one person from drinking is 11 for acamprosate and 18 for naltrexone. The researchers suggest that these be considered first-line pharmacotherapies for alcohol use disorder. People
0: who consume a lot of ultra-processed food are at higher risk for high blood pressure, heart disease, and metabolic disorders, such as Diabetes. Now, researchers in the UK have added cancers of the mouth, throat, and esophagus. The data come from more than 450,000 adults in the European Prospective Investigation into Cancer and Nutrition, known as the EPIC Cohort. Researchers collected data on their diets and their health and followed them for 14 years on average. Those who consumed more ultra-processed foods were at 23% higher risk for head and neck cancers.
1: How do your food choices affect your brain? New research from Europe suggests that older people, at risk of cognitive decline, do much better if they follow a Mediterranean-style eating pattern. The researchers wanted a better way to determine what people have been eating than simply asking them to remember and write it down on a questionnaire. Instead, they analyzed the participants' blood samples for metabolites related to the major components of a Mediterranean diet—vegetables, legumes, fruits, cereals, dairy, olive oil, and fish. The study included more than 400 senior citizens of Bordeaux and another 400-plus from the city of Dijon. None of these people had cognitive problems at the beginning of the study and all took tests throughout the 12 years the research lasted. The findings were encouraging. People who followed a Mediterranean diet more closely were less likely to experience cognitive decline.
0: Is there such a thing as too much exercise? For most people, exercise is beneficial. It can control weight, improve mood, manage insulin, and even help reduce the risk of upper respiratory tract infections. But a small study demonstrates that intense physical activity may actually make people more vulnerable to infection. This is consistent with other studies that have found higher rates of infection in soldiers, marathoners, and soccer players after exhausting physical activity. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week.
1: Welcome to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon.
0: And I'm Joe Graydon.
1: Have you ever had
0: difficulty hearing people talk in a noisy restaurant? Do you have to ask people to repeat themselves so you can catch what they've said? It's estimated that about 30 million American adults have trouble hearing well. Does impaired hearing affect cognitive function? If you treat hearing loss,
1: does that make a difference? To find out, we turn to Dr. Frank Lynn. He's professor of otolaryngology at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and director of the Cochlear Center for Hearing and Public Health at the Bloomberg School of Public Health. Dr. Lynn is co-principal investigator of the ACHIEVE study. Welcome
0: back to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Frank Lynn. Thanks for having me, Joe.
1: Dr. Lin, you're the principal investigator of something called the ACHIEVE study that we would very much like to talk about today. What can you tell us about the ACHIEVE study?
2: So the ACHIEVE study, Terry, stands for the the Aging and Cognitive Health Evaluation in Elder Study. And this was a, a randomized trial funded by our tax dollars by the National Institutes of Health. And the trial set out to answer a really, really basic question. Namely, does treating hearing loss in older adults between the ages of 70, 84, does in fact treating hearing loss reduce the rate of loss of thinking and memory abilities over a three-year period, what we call cognitive decline? And and the reason why we ask this question, Terry, is that going back over uh, a little over a decade now, we have long known that hearing loss, just a bread and butter hearing loss we all experience as we age, as we get older, is linked with a much higher rate of cognitive decline, loss of thinking and memory abilities, as well as risk of dementia over time. But well, we never knew until the chief trial. Those was was that mean. What that, does that actually mean in effect if we if we treat hearing loss, we use hearing aids and uh, showing people how to use them properly, does that in fact reduce someone's risk over time? And that's what the, that's what this trial set out to answer.
1: Well, three years is not a really long time for an intervention. But do you have an answer to that extremely <laughs> important question? You know, Terry,
2: we we, we sure do, fortunately. So in, in the trial, we basically, uh, we, we, we randomized, I mean, we recruited about 1,000 older adults between ages 70 to 84. Uh, they all had a essentially a bread and butter mild to moderate hearing loss. Is so The hearing loss, you would see about 50% of people in the age with a level hearing loss. And the very beginning of the study, they're all essentially, they're healthy. And they're randomized, meaning the flip of a coin. They either got assigned to get their hearing loss treated, basically, basically meaning meeting with a study audiologist, getting hearing aids, showing how to use them. Or they got randomized to a health education control intervention, where they're basically meeting one on one with a health educator to learn about just critical healthy aging topics. But that doesn't really obviously address their hearing loss. Then uh, these people were then followed over three years. We did uh, routine tests of a sort of hour long battery of thinking memory abilities every year for the next three years, and we analyzed results at the end. Now, I'll first preface saying that the thousand people in the study is actually nine seventy seven technically. They came from four different centers across the United States, and these people actually came from two different study populations. And what I mean by that is, one group of people about a quarter of the pop, a quarter of the study came from this existing study of essentially um, of uh, cardiovascular heart health. These are about sixteen thousand people originally thirty years ago who were randomly recruited from communities, and they were followed over their entire life. and just look at uh, basically their heart health over time. So, about again about 250 people came from that. Heart Health Study. People have long been followed, they represent a truly random sample of the population. The other about 750 people in this trial basically came from people who responded in advertisements about this study about uh, cognitive and, and hearing health. People who literally just responded to Facebook ads as people who would newly join the study. So there's a new group of healthy volunteers. And then there was a group of uh, people from this Heart Health Study who have been followed already for many, many years. The reason why I'm explaining that is because it's really important to know that they're two distinct populations study. When we analyzed results, essentially three years later, after everyone had been followed for three years, we actually found that the hearing intervention controlled, compared to the control intervention, that the rates of cognitive decline were basically the same in both groups, suggesting that, well, hearing intervention didn't appear to have much effect. And at first glance, it was a little disappointing, but here is where the big but with a capital B is, is the next analysis that we had always planned to do that was a pre-specified in advance is that we looked at the two study populations differently. Namely, that the people from the heart health study who are slightly older, who had slightly more uh, more risk factors for dementia, namely they had higher rates of uh, hypertension, diabetes, they had lower education, uh, mainly because they represent a truly random sample of the U.S. population versus the um, the healthy volunteer group. These are people who were really sort of the cream of the crop. They're people who are the most interested in, in heart and in, in cognitive health and hearing. They're people who just newly joined life like they wanted to. But when we looked at those groups separately, we found really different results. Namely, in the study of the the heart participants, the heart health participants, we found that hearing intervention actually reduced the rate of cognitive decline, reduced the rate of loss of thinking about our abilities by nearly fifty percent over three years, so literally a halving in the rate of loss of thinking about our abilities over a three year period. In contrast, in the um, in the healthy volunteer cohorts, we actually saw that there was no effective hearing intervention. But the reason for that is that really healthy volunteer group, over three years, they really had no cognitive decline. They were too healthy. So in other words, you have no cognitive decline. You can't really expect a hearing intervention to reduce something that's not going down to begin with. So in the end, the way we, that's sort of the main inference, the conclusion from a study like this is that we're finding in just a short three-year period of time that people who are at increased risk of things like cognitive decline and dementia by virtue of age and things like that. That they in fact really stood to benefit from hearing intervention to the tune of essentially a fifty percent reduction in cognitive decline just in a three-year period.
0: Doctor Lynn, I don't know about you, but from where I'm sitting, that sounds phenomenal. I mean, I think there are a lot of people, maybe millions, maybe tens of millions of people who have some degree of hearing loss. And they're thinking, eh, no big deal. I just turn up the volume on the TV or on the radio in the car. Yeah, my partner may object, but, you know, it's the, who cares? Well, what you're suggesting from this achieved trial is we should all care because inability to hear well is having a profound impact on the trajectory of our brains and our cognitive ability. Yeah, You know, Joe, you're exactly right there. I
2: mean, hearing loss, I think for many, many, uh, I mean, for time immemorial has been considered this, essentially this usual part of aging, which is true, because you have wear and tear and in the inner ear over time. Those parts of the ear can't regenerate. And uh, because that, people assume, oh, it's just getting older. It's like getting some wrinkles and white hair. It's not that big of a deal. We're fighting the epidemiologically for a decade now, showing that's actually not the case. But more importantly, we're showing now the chief trial. It's something you could actually do something about with Essentially, you know, hearing interventions, things like hearing aids, they come at no risk. There's no medical risk with using a hearing aid. They are ready. We already know they can benefit your ability to, let's say, go out to communicate. And oh yeah, now it confers 50 percent reduction in, co- in loss of cognitive abilities over three or, three or four for healthy older adults. So I, I think it's really, really exciting in that regard. I mean, as you as you guys know, and you get, you, you have discussed on your show, there are many risk factors for cognitive decline and dementia, things like high blood pressure and diabetes and uh, remaining socially engaged and actually those are all critically important um and they're all ones we, we already know we should be doing anyway because we want to maintain our you know our, our heart health even those are a lot of, a lot of those are related to heart health too the, the amazing thing and the, the, the great thing about hearing though is that it's um it's a risk factor that it's really common it's something for which there are existing intervention things like hearing aids that come at essentially zero risk that already have benefit in other areas of, of health and, with, and it's for a condition that affects nearly two-thirds of older adults over 70. At the same time, uh, these interventions are come at essentially no medical risk. So it is a really exciting time, I think, to think about how important hearing is to maintaining our not only our cognitive health, but other aspects of our social health, our mental health, and now understanding that treating hearing loss actually
0: makes a difference. Well, you know, Dr. Lin, I think you just said something that a lot of people they kind of assume that this is something that affects old people, you know, those over 70. But there are a lot of younger people these days who, because of, you know, they've got stuff in their ears, their ear pods, their speakers are up real loud. There are a lot of younger people who are beginning to have some degree of, of hear loss as well. And, and this study may have something to say for them over the course of the next couple of decades. Yeah, you, you know,
2: you're absolutely right, Joe. And in, in, in that sense, you know, hearing is, it's not all of a sudden one day you wake up with hearing loss. I mean, people begin losing, quote unquote, your hearing, essentially beginning your early 20s. Over your lifetimes, essentially after essentially your adolescence, everybody, it doesn't matter who you are, everybody's hearing slowly begins to go down. And that's because- Uh, the mammalian, the human inner ear, those cells in the inner ear, which are are sending sounds to the brain, they can't regenerate. So over a lifetime of just noise exposure, aging, genetic background, things like that, we all lose our hearing as we age. And importantly, I think a lot of people don't think of it that way. think of, oh, one day I have hearing loss or one day the hearing loss becomes quote unquote significant. It's actually a bad way to think about it. Hearing is just something that just naturally declines for all of us as we age. And it's not something you necessarily want to wait till like you're quote-unquote 80 and you're stone-cold deaf before you do something about. Like any other essentially medical condition, health condition, the earlier you begin to think about it and address it. And, you know, addressing doesn't necessarily mean even using hearing it sometimes, but, but or we, the earlier we know about we do something about it, the more important it is in its impact on our health over time.
1: Dr. Lin, you've been pointing out that that it's a continuum how well we hear or how poorly we might hear, oh, what's a tip-off to a person that it's time to go see somebody like Dr. Lynn to <laughs> see if we need hearing help?
2: Well, Terry, you know, it's a great question. And the running joke always is, is not that you know, but everyone around you knows, right? And the reason for that is because as all of us slowly develop, developing hearing, sort of we lose a little bit of hearing time, our brains get used to it in a bad way in a good way. So we sort of think it's other people mumbling, When in fact, that's what hearing loss is. It basically means sounds are not being clearly sent to the brain. And I think it's a they tip off. If you feel like you're constantly asking, well, huh, what anymore? Sounds like people are mumbling at you all the time. That essentially is what hearing loss is.
1: You're listening to Dr. Frank Lin. He's professor of otolaryngology at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and director of the Cochlear Center for Hearing and Public Health at the Bloomberg School of Public Health. Dr. Lynn is co-principal investigator of the ACHIEVE study.
0: After the break,
1: find out why
0: hearing loss is often associated with cognitive decline.
1: Does the cause of the hearing loss make a difference? How can this problem be treated? Can you monitor your hearing loss yourself? It seems like we should be making hearing aids accessible
0: to everyone, but we're certainly a long way from that now.
1: You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. That was the sound of the NutriSense biosensor. Using it has been a revelation, and it's shown me how I can make my healthy habits even better.
0: On The People's Pharmacy, we've often discussed the importance of controlling your glucose levels. It has such an important impact on how you feel and how well you perform. With
1: NutriSense, I get to track how exercise and food affect my glucose levels in real time. I was surprised to see how my body reacts to bread. And kind of delighted to see that a little piece of dark chocolate doesn't really push my glucose out of bounds. Focusing on the glucose response... Help me control my cravings for crackers. NutriSense,
0: that's N-U-T-R-I-S-E-N-S-E. NutriSense includes a continuous glucose monitor and an app that can help you make sense of the results.
1: You also have access to a whole month of advice from a board-certified nutritionist who can help you figure out where your habits are supporting your health and how you might be able to make improvements. There are also clear learning modules to assist you. Take charge
0: of your nutrition today at NutriSense.com slash Pharmacy30. That's nutri slash Pharmacy30, where data-driven insights meets personalized nutrition.
1: You'll receive a $30 discount off your first month, which includes two CGM continuous glucose monitor sensors, free shipping, and a month of professional nutritionist support. You can even use your FSA or HSA account for additional savings. That's NutriSense.com Pharmacy30. And thank you, NutriSense, for supporting today's show.
0: Welcome back to the People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon.
1: And I'm Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Coco Via Dietary Supplements. Coco Via's biggest sale of the year is this Black Friday Cyber Monday season. Adding cocoa flavanols to your daily routine for cardiovascular and cognitive support can help support heart and brain health. For a limited time, you can save money while supporting your health goals. Cocovia.com has more information.
0: Does it worry you to learn that hearing difficulties might contribute to cognitive decline? Are you in denial about your own hearing loss? How would you know how much you're missing from conversations? Our guest today is one of the country's leading experts on the relationship between hearing loss and cognitive
1: decline. We're talking with Dr. Frank Lynn. He's professor of otolaryngology at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and director of the Cochlear Center for Hearing and Public Health at the Bloomberg School of Public Health. Dr. Lin is co-principal investigator of the ACHIEVE study. That stands for Aging and Cognitive Health Evaluation in Elders.
0: So, Do- Dr. Lin, uh, you know, w- we now have results, epidemiological results, and the ACHIEVE trial, which in a sense is a randomized controlled trial, which is the the highest order kind of scientific study that you can possibly have. And what we've what we've learned is that if you have hearing loss and you don't do anything about it, it's kind of a downward slope, a decline, cognitive decline, and possibly even an increased risk for dementia down the road. But if we do something, you can perhaps delay or prevent that decline. Do we have any idea why? What? Why is that restoring the quality of our hearing going to have a positive impact in the future? Well, Joe, that is such an important
2: question because that's fundamentally getting at, you know what, what are the biological mechanisms? How could hearing loss be related to things like cognitive decline and dementia? Uh, you know, I mean, why are they linked together? Is correlation or is actual causation? And obviously, it's causation. It gets at the fact that treating hearing loss may make a difference. So at the present time, we're understanding now that there are likely three major mechanisms to which hearing loss could actually de- could actually directly increase someone's risk for cognitive blind dementia. And the first mechanism is basically the idea of cognitive load. And what that essentially means is that when we have hearing loss, it essentially means that the ear is constantly sending a much more degraded signal, the auditory signal, to the brain. So if it's a crystal clear signal being sent to the brain, it's a much more degraded signal because there's been damage in the inner ear over time from you know, aging the inner ear. And in turn, then, if, if the brain's getting a much more degraded signal from the ear, we know now the brain has to work much harder to process and decode that sound. And that gets the idea then, does a brain actually, we actually know this now, does a brain actually have to reallocate more brain resources, more brain power per se, to dealing with that degraded sound? And does that then come at the expense of our thinking and memory abilities? Namely, does a brain have to use resources that otherwise could, could have supported our thinking and memory abilities? And instead of to use those resources now for basically essentially helping hearing, when instead those resources could have helped again support her cognition, protect the brain against other pathologies that do contribute to dementia, like Alzheimer's disease, for instance. So that's one mechanism the idea of cognitive load. The second mechanism it sounds similar, but it's actually very different. And that hearing loss in of itself, through essentially a reduced auditory stimulation, of the brain auditory deprivation, it leads to faster rates of brain atrophy, namely. If you're not getting or you're getting decreased stimulation of parts of the brain that are important for language and sound, do those parts of the brain begin decaying or ashering faster? We actually do see this now in in both, you know, longitudinal human studies as well as animal studies. And the final mechanism is the idea that hearing loss in in some way, shape, or form can contribute to social isolation, or you may not go out as much, or if you do go out, you may not be as engaged in the conversations or you may not be as cognitively stimulated more, or take part in you know activities that are cognitively stimulating. And in turn, we now know that those those activities, those social activities, those are incredibly important for maintaining our our cognitive health over time. So the reason why we think now that the going to the Achieve trial, which was essentially the trial that which really really began to really nail this down, is that theoretically, you could imagine those three mechanisms: cognitive load, brain stimulation, social isolation. That treating hearing loss with things like a, like a hearing aid or maybe something like a cochlear implant for those of a severe hearing loss, that a, a hearing venture could directly modify those pathways, affect those pathways, reduce cognitive load, buy more brain stimulation, help someone go out more, and that could in turn reduce cognitive decline. But that was always just a theoretical idea. It made sense plausibly. But is that in fact the case? And what the Achieve trial really did was actually do that trial, randomize some people about hearing aids, some people didn't and see whether that makes a difference. And lo and behold, after three years, it really does appear to make a big, big difference.
0: This podcast is made possible in part by Gaia Herbs. For more than 30 years, Gaia Herbs has nurtured the connection between people and plants to deliver nature's vitality. Their full-spectrum formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial to get in the way. Learn more at GaiaHerbs.com. That's G-A-I-A-Herbs.com.
1: Dr. Lynn, does it matter what your hearing loss is due to? I'm assuming, and I may be wrong here, you can correct me, that there are more than one reason why people may begin to experience hearing loss. Is the same treatment going to work for all of those reasons?
2: Yeah, great question, Terry. So, yes, theoretically, I'll put my hat on as an otologic surgeon here. There are theoretically many different forms of hearing loss. You have hearing loss that come from a conductive loss, basically meaning the ear bones or your eardrum don't work very well, and then you have things like sensor neural hearing loss, basically meaning the inner ear, the cochlea, right? That's been damaged from a variety of different causes. And the key thing here is when we're talking about the hearing loss that everybody's going to experience as all of us age we're really talking about the sensor neural hearing loss. The, the, the cochlea, the inner ear gets damaged because those cells can't regenerate and uh, instead a, a much more garbled sound goes up right. Now, that being said, that's a hearing loss that all of us are going to be experiencing as we all of us age. Now, I think another aspect of that is that there are different causes of that. There are noise-related sort of the Noise can contribute to sensor neural hearing loss. Just general aging and, and mitochondrial dysfunction, inflammation can contribute to it as well as even cardiovascular disease, small vessel disease of the inner ear can also contribute to hearing loss. The, the key thing is all those different causes of sensible hearing loss, they all basically result in the same end result. They all basically lead to the same type of hearing loss. So when we're talking about the CHIU trial, we're talking about this is the bread and butter hearing loss that literally every single human being will experience as we age. We're not talking about here like It's the very, um, I shouldn't say unusual, but the very uncommon forms of hearing loss Namely, let's say a, a, a problem with the eardrum or the ear bones. We're talking really about the bread and butter hearing loss that essentially all society will experience as we
0: age. Now, I suspect a fair number of our listeners have some degree of hearing loss, whether they are teenagers, middle-aged, or older folks. But most people, you know, they may say, "Huh? What? What'd you say?" but they don't actually go in and have their hearing tested. I mean it seems complicated, it may even be expensive, maybe your insurance won't cover it. And I'm wondering, you know, how would somebody monitor their hearing loss themselves? Is there some way that people can can actually check with an app, for example? whether or not they are beginning to experience some degree of decrement. So, Joe, I'm so glad you asked that question because from a, you know, from a impact
2: point of view, that is really the next critical question, namely, okay, we show now there was beautiful randomized controlled trial splendor spot sponsored by NIH funded tax dollars that treating hearing loss makes a difference. Well, what does that mean for me? And that's the next question. How do you even know if I have a hearing loss? So this is I'm really excited to talk about because this is, this represents over a year of work now. Uh, but we've been partnering at Johns Hopkins of Bloomberg School of Public Health with a site called the Consumer Technology Association. And this is the trade group that represents all the big consumer electronics manufacturers, Samsung, Bose, Apple, all these manufacturers belong to the CTA, the Consumer Technology Association. And we, we've, we've been confronting this exact issue. How can we empower consumers to actually monitor, know their hearing, and track it themselves, much like you might track your own blood pressure, you might track your own heart rate. You might track your own blood glucose if you have diabetes. How can we empower consumers? And you know, if everyone has a smartphone, why can't we do it? And that's exactly what we're doing now. So this is called the Hearing Number or the Know Your Hearing Number Initiative. For, the, for your listeners right now, I encourage if you guys can go to this website. It's called hearingnumber.org. This is a site that we developed at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. And what it basically is, is basically we're about to start, we're about to have a kickoff initiative with, with consumer technology which over the next several years and with various other partners around the country and the world to empower consumers that everyone on their smartphone can start monitoring their own hearing. And it'll be basically you're getting something called your hearing number. All that basically is, that hearing number basically represents how loud do speech sounds, basically the main parts of speech sounds which run between 500 and 4,000 hertz, or the frequencies involved how loud those sounds have to be for you to hear it. Now, obviously, if you can hear something as soft as zero, zero decimals, that means your hearing is great. As that number gets bigger, that basically means your hearing is is a little worse. You have to be, the sounds that be louder. Now, we typically say when a hearing number is also called a pure tone average, that's the that's audiological term for it, same thing. Um, when that number is roughly less than 20, that's considered normal hearing. 20 is about 35, 40 sort of mild hearing loss and so on and so forth. But those terms are less important than actually knowing your number, much like you might just track your weight over time. You know, it's not whether you're overweight or not. You just track your weight over time. You track your blood pressure over time. So, the HearingNumber.org site. Um, it basically it goes through how people can track their own hearing number. There are a few apps that do it right now. They're mainly on the iPhone platform right now because iPhone platform is a little more standardized than Android. Uh, the main one, main app is called Mini. and uh, that it's called. It, this it goes over all the hearing number was and how to just download the app, how to track your own hearing number. The exciting with the Consumer Technology Association now is we just literally two weeks ago, released now the formal standard from the consumer technology, which governs essentially consumer technologies, so that all smartphone manufacturers, Android, Samsung, Apple, you name it, as well as hearing, uh, essentially uh, headphone, hearable manufacturers will all follow the same standard so that they will report to consumers their hearing number. And the reason they want to do this is they want consumers to know their hearing. So they can know whether or not to adopt a a certain or a given hearing technology. So that campaign now is literally, we're launching the next about six months. But more importantly, that standard just came out. And that's going to be the standard that governs all worldwide, essentially, consumer electronic technologies that do anything around hearing going forward. So right now, you can only do this hearing number, test yourself on a few different apps. In the future, we anticipate this can be rolled out across the whole platform of all different sorts of Headphones, smartphones, hearables, OTC hearing aids, hearing aids, et cetera. So it's one common language we're going to talk about hearing and one common metric that everyone sort of knows about themselves. Again, much like you might know your blood pressure, your heart rate, or your glucose.
0: Now, that website again is hearing number, and that's written out, N-U-M-B-E-R, hearingnumber.org.
1: And we've got a link to it in the show notes for today's show. I, I love the idea that you've been working on a standard and that all of, the, um, all of the organizations that will be using this technology will be using the same standard. Here's my next question to you. Why don't we all work on a policy that would make hearing aids accessible to everyone? Because an awful lot of people who could benefit from hearing aids don't have them, because they can't afford them.
2: Yeah, Terry, so this has been a work in progress for us at the, at the Johns Hopkins Cogress Center for many years now. So in the U.S. at least, um, there are two major policy hurdles that limit accessibility, affordability, innovation, uptake of hearing care. One of them, we, we had a big win several years ago, and that was basically getting passage of the Federal Over-the-Counter Hearing Act of 2017. Which literally just went into effect about a little over, a little under a year ago. What that basically did, that was a law that was supported by Chuck Grassley, Elizabeth Warren, and the Senate side, and the House side, was supported by Joe Joe Kennedy and Marsha Blackburn. So this is a truly, this was a truly bipartisan bill when it passed several years ago. But what that law did, which is now in effect, is it, it required the FDA, which the FDA did do, to release regulations for over-the-counter hearings. Basically, prior to just 2022. The only way for a consumer to get a hearing aid was to go through, like me, an ENT or an audiologist. You couldn't just go to a store to buy a hearing aid. That's because of the federal regulation which said hearing aids can only be sold through a licensed provider. And because of that, uh, until essentially recently, uh, but still the case for, for at least a little bit longer, there were only five manufacturers that controlled essentially the world's hearing aid marketplace. Because companies like, let's say, Apple or Samsung or Bose, they couldn't enter the hearing aid marketplace because they couldn't sell to consumers. That law is officially changed as of a little less than a year ago. The -the over-the-counter hearing market in the U.S. is now open. But it will still take about another year to fully shape up. All these companies, I talked to many consumer tech companies as well as retailers like Best Buy and these retailers are all approaching now thinking, how do I basically essentially benefit consumers? How do I sell to consumers? How do I educate consumers about hearing? How do I sell these devices? How do I advertise them? What kind of technology do we need? This is all going on in real time now. And I think you're going to see in the next year, a lot of incredible innovation now from various companies, many of which are well-known, which have not been the hearing aid space or hearing augmentation space before, but which are going to accelerate in the next year. So I think that level of innovation and i would say accessibility and affordability is coming very quickly over the next year or two. And I'll just mention one company which I'm really excited to mention. I have no financial affiliations with company, but I learned about what they did recently. Is actually the company EssilorLuxottica, a company that no one's ever heard of before, but you sort of have. EssilorLuxottica they own Ray-Ban, they own Oakley, they own LensCrafters. They control a lot of the world's vision market. They officially announced, I think, two weeks ago in a a big, massive sort of media splash bug release, they are officially entering the hearing market, the hearing market in the next year with glasses that essentially function invisibly as hearing aids, as an there's nothing in your ear. They look like a normal pair of stylish Ray Ban or Oakley or Prada sunglass frames or eyeglass frames. But lo and behold, the hearing is embedded into the temple piece of the eyeglasses. And whoever you look at is what you hear. I, I, I had a chance to personally try these on the prototype about a few weeks ago when I was in when I was in Europe, and they are amazing. I was sitting in the basement of I should say basement. It was really to the lower level, this really beautiful grotto Italian uh, trattoria restaurant, which was you can imagine incredibly loud. And noisy, and whoever I looked at at the dinner table was who I heard. It was amazing. And I had quote, unquote normal hearing issues, say, but it was amazing. So I think you're seeing that innovation come about quickly. So that's one policy, which we already had a big win with uh, by working the national academies, the White House and Congress several years ago. The other piece you're getting at, which is something we're, <laughs> we've been working on for many years and we did get close, I'll tell you, about a year and a half ago, is actually changing Medicare, and Medicare influences other private insurers, but changing Medicare so that Medicare would begin covering hearing aids, as well as the services of an audiologist to help counsel, educate them what to do about their hearing Right now, those things, hearing aid or hearing counseling-related services as hearing aids are not covered by Medicare. There's statutory exclusion under law in Medicare for many reasons. And to change that, you have to have to change federal law. We've been working on that legislation with Congress for many, many years. We got really close in 2021, the Build Back Better bill. That was a $1.75 trillion post-spending bill. That actually had a $35 billion carve-out specifically for Medicare hearing coverage. Unfortunately, as we may not remember, the Build Back Better bill didn't advance, got stalled stall the Senate, but we're hoping in the next year, especially with the results of the Chief trial, that we can resurrect, again, the importance of a Medicare hearing benefit. Not only for the essentially just so people can communicate and hear again, but more importantly for the huge benefit of society and public health. If we can begin to delay things like cognitive client, delay things like dementia and all its associated costs, that is a huge difference for our society and our federal, essentially our federal bank book, basically.
1: Dr. Franklin, thank you so much for talking with us on The People's Pharmacy today.
2: Thanks so much, Terry and Jill.
0: You've been listening to Dr. Frank Lynn, professor of otolaryngology at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Bloomberg School of Public Health. Dr. Lynn is co-principal investigator of the ACHIEVE study and director of the Cochlear Center for Hearing and Public Health.
1: After the break, we'll find out about new over-the-counter hearing aids. What's the difference between those and a
0: personal sound
1: amplification product? The high cost of prescription hearing aids is an important barrier for a lot of people who might benefit.
0: What should consumers consider if they think they might benefit from better hearing
1: You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This People's Pharmacy podcast is made possible in part by Cocovia, maker of the most proven and concentrated flavanol extract in the market today, Coco Pro Cocoa Extract.
0: If you're not already familiar with the benefits of cocoa flavanols, now is a better time than ever to consider adding cocoa Via supplements to your daily health routine. From November 20th to November 30th, get 30% off all Cocovia products using the discount code BFCMPOD at Cocovia.com. Let me give that to you again. It's B as in boy, F as in Frank, C as in cyber, Amazon Monday, POD at Cocovia.com.
1: Whether you're looking to prioritize your heart health or brain health, you can find a supplement to fit your needs with Cocovia. All Cocovia supplements contain the number one bioactive flavanol extract, Cocopro, backed by 20 plus years of research. These powerful bioactive nutrients are clinically proven to promote cardiovascular health and improve cognitive function as you age. Plus, the supplements are available as either convenient capsules or a delicious dark chocolate flavor powder. Don't forget to check them out soon. It's their best deal all year, so don't miss out.
0: These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
1: Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon.
0: And I'm Joe Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocovia's biggest sale of the year is this Black Friday, Cyber Monday season. Adding flavanols to your daily routine for cardiovascular and cognitive support can help heart and brain health. You can save money while supporting your health goals. Cocovia.com has more information.
1: Many people who could benefit from hearing aids aren't using them. There are a lot of reasons for this contradiction. Some people are afraid that wearing a hearing aid will make them look or feel old. Others cannot afford the price, which is rarely, if ever, covered by insurance. But the Food and Drug Administration recently changed its regulations to allow over-the-counter sale of hearing aids. Will that make a difference? Is it safe to try non-prescription devices? To learn more about the pros
0: and cons of over-the-counter hearing aids, we're talking with Katherine Roberts. She is a health journalist for Consumer Reports.
1: Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Katherine Roberts. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Catherine, about a year or so ago, the Food and Drug Administration approved over-the-counter hearing aids. In other words, you didn't need a prescription. What do we need to know about these OTC hearing aids and other devices sometimes referred to as personal sound amplification products?
1: Um,
0: well, so
3: first first off, I'll just say that OTC hearing aids and personal sound amplification products are actually two different things. <laughs> um, uh, and we can get into that later. But but the, the main thing to know about over-the-counter hearing aids is that they are only for people with mild to moderate hearing loss. If you have severe hearing loss, you know, really profound hearing loss, these are by design, you know, not for you. And most people with hearing loss do have hearing loss in kind of the mild to moderate range. So there are a lot of people out there potentially who could benefit from these, but um, just it's really important to keep in mind that those those more severe hearing loss cases, this is not the device for you.
0: Well, what is the difference between a OTC hearing aid and a personal sound amplification product?
3: It's a really good question. And um, part of what the FDA did when it was coming out with these new rules last year is um made some additional, provided some additional guidance to um, more clearly delineate between the two. Um, Before OTCs came out, it was a little bit more of a muddled market, but essentially um, an OTC hearing aid or a prescription hearing aid is a device that is intended to compensate for hearing loss that you have. And uh, a personal sound amplification amplification product or a PSAP um, is a hearing device that is not meant to compensate for hearing loss. so you might use it in situations like I, I know that um, hunters use them, um, bird watchers will use them, you know, things like hearing a lecture or something like that there um, the FDA has made it very clear that if you are if you're making a device uh, that is not following the rules of the OTC or prescription hearing aids, um, then you are not allowed to market it as, compensating for hearing loss. Um, And that was something that we kind of saw a lot in the pre-OTC days is these um, PSAPs. Those rules were still in effect back then. They really weren't supposed to be marketed for hearing loss, but there was a lot of blurry lines around that where um, you know, sometimes PSAPs would be the only thing that people could access. And it, it did make sense for people to try them. Now that we have OTCs, Um, There's less of a need to kind of go to those those non-hearing aid devices, if that makes sense.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think it does make sense, Catherine. Now, one of the big differences between prescription and over-the-counter hearing aids that is going to be very obvious to most of our listeners is the price. Because that's right, <laughs> prescription hearing aids are very expensive, and insurance mostly doesn't cover them. So, what can you tell us about other differences?
3: Yeah, so you're you're absolutely right. Price is the big one, uh, one of the big ones that's going to be most obvious to consumers. Um, there's a few technical specifications that are different that the FDA has has um, spelled out. So. There's a limit on OTC hearing aids on the the total volume output, um, so they can't go above a certain la- loudness, essentially, in the ear. Um, that's a big one. And that's, again, part of why they're only for mild to moderate hearing loss and not, not going to be able to compensate for more severe hearing loss. So that's a big one. Um, there's a few other Specifications that they have, but really the the other like huge difference is how people are buying them. In that, with an OTC, you're kind of on your own. Um, with when you're buying a prescription hearing aid, you're working with an audiologist or a doctor or um, you know a licensed hearing aid specialist who knows the devices and can kind of guide you through that process. With an OTC, you're really your own guide or, um, uh, you know, you're leading that process um, and trying to figure out how the hearing aid works and what might work for you. Um, so so I, I would say that that's really the biggest
0: difference. Before we get into the, the whole issue of adjustment, what about cost? Can you give us some sense of what a prescription hearing aid would cost? Or there are now many manufacturers of those. And then what these OTC aids are costing, and whether or not the the technology is comparable,
3: right? Um, so so with prescription hearing aids, the costs are generally going to start, you know, fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars, two thousand dollars for a pair, something like that, and and that can. That's kind of the 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 floor, and that can get a lot higher um, in some of the higher end hearing aids, thousands of dollars um, for a pair. Um, with OTCs, um, there's a really big range right now. Um, there are some that are quite expensive, um, you know, still a couple of thousand dollars for a pair, um, but there's plenty that are not not that expensive. So you can get down into like the $700, $800 range for a pair. There's a few that are a little less, you know, two or $300. There's, and there's also, um, I mean, this it's hard to say how good these are, but there are some out there on the market that you can kind of find, you know, especially like on Amazon or whatever that don't really have recognizable brand names for, for even cheaper. You know, Consumer Reports has not, you know, necessarily tested any of those types of brands, but I, I would, I would warn consumers just generally that that um, to you know be on the lookout.
0: <laughs> I, I don't know how good interrupt. of qualities those are at that
3: at those uh-huh. price levels.
0: Yeah. Now the technology itself. I mean, if we were to go to an engineer who knows something about audiology and take apart one of the over the counter devices that run around maybe say $1000 for a pair and compare them to uh, a a pair that you would spend $3000 for is there a dramatic difference or they basically all work in the same way
3: Yeah my understanding is that the basic mechanism is pretty much the same they they take in sound they amplify it with various types of algorithms um some may filter noise or reduce noise in some way and then you know output that too into your ear and I, I my understanding is that the the basic function is pretty similar a big difference in terms of kind of the user interface is i think you mentioned before the idea of programming the hearing aid or the fit of the hearing aid so when you're with, when you're going through this process with an audiologist. Um, they'll test your hearing. And then the audiologist is the one that programs the hearing aid to kind of match the profile of your hearing loss. Now, when you're working with an OTC, that piece is different. Um, and it kind of depends on which type of hearing aid you get. Um, but essentially, you are the one programming or selecting you know, a profile for yourself um, that, that feel like seems to match what you need in the moment. So um, that programming, the, the programming part, <laughs> the fitting is is the term that's used, is different. And the uh, one of the big technological differences, I guess you might say, is um, many types of OTC hearing aids, many brands of OTC hearing aids have an additional um, technological piece, like an, a phone app, basically, that you use to help you program the hearing aid for yourself. Um, and we can get into kind of that if you want, um, kind of what, what how that works. Yeah,
1: actually, we would be interested in going into that. And also, what sorts of things should a consumer be considering if they're thinking about looking for an over-the-counter hearing aid?
3: So I would look at a few things to start with when you're, we're thinking about an over-the-counter hearing aid. A big one is kind of your... Comfort level with technology, and that can help you I, either guide you toward an over-the-counter or not, or can help you kind of figure out which kind of OTC you might want to investigate. Um, and the reason for that is that there's two main—I've um, been calling them flavors of over-the-counter hearing aid. They—they there's two main two main flavors. One is this, like I mentioned, this self-fitting type of hearing aid. Um, and I'll talk about that first, because um, I think that in general, that maybe if you're kind of a more, if you're more comfortable with technology and, and feel good about your ability to kind of go through an app and respond to prompts and and work with the phone and the hearing aid at the same time, um, I think that maybe has a lot of rough promise for people because you're, excuse me, because you're, programming it for yourself you're customizing for yourself but basically how that works is like i said you you open it you get the hearing aid you open it up um you sync it with your phone and it will bring you through a series of before you start using the hearing aid the app will bring you through a series of prompts um that will perform some kind of hearing test generally speaking is how it works Um, that that may be some kind of like um, sound and noise test, you know, listening to different tones. Um, and then from that, the hearing aid will kind of take that data and program itself for your kind of hearing profile. Um, it doesn't always work like that. Some are uh, a little bit different, but you're, you're working with an app that helps you customize the hearing aid to your, to your hearing. And that is a really new technology It was actually introduced a little bit before over-the-counter hearing aids were available. Um, The self-fitting hearing aid, um, the FDA kind of approved that by a different process. So it has been available for a little while, but it is kind of a totally new um, way of working with a hearing aid. And any company that wants to make a new self-fitting hearing aid right now, because that's a new device, they have to submit data to the FDA that shows that their self-fitting hearing aid is doing as good of a job as a programmed hearing aid might. Um, So that, you know, any new self-fitting hearing aid is being evaluated, um, at least the company's data is being evaluated by the FDA. So another reason that, you know, it may be good for consumers to consider a self-fitting hearing aid is there's a little bit more oversight on what's going on with those devices. You have a little bit more assurance that, that, you know, the data that is backing up that hearing aid has been reviewed by, by um, regulators. So that's self-fitting hearing aids. And then the other sort of flavor of hearing aids is um, I, we've been calling them presets. Um, so you get the hearing aid and rather than kind of um, setting up your own hearing profile um, through a kind of customized prompt, you um, have a few options for different preset audio configurations. Um, So some of them, some of the more sophisticated ones have several presets. Some really kind of only have some volume control. They can get really, they can, some of them are very, very simple. But basically those are pre-programmed audio programs and you can sort of toggle through them to kind of see which one you want and it's going to work with you for you best in different situations. Um, So those are much simpler. Sometimes they do have an app that they'll pair with even though you're not using it to do a self-sitting. Some of them are still connected you know, via an app, but several of them are not. And it's just the hearing aid that you're toggling through these different programs or adjusting the volume. Um, so that's kind of the landscape of OTCs right now.
0: So Catherine, if I were in the market for an over-the-counter hearing aid, what are some brands that might be considered reliable? I know you don't have a ranking system yet, but uh, what should I be looking for?
3: Sure. So again, I, I would tend to direct people towards those self-fitting hearing aids since they have some, um, you know, FDA review behind them. Um, the the first brand kind of out there on the market was Bose, and that that has now been bought by a brand called Lexi. So Lexi has the um, B one and B two hearing aids. Those are the Bose, and then Lexi has its own Lumen brand. I know that the Lumen. Um, contains a telecoil uh, which is a nice feature that allows you to loop yourself into um, like a venues assisted uh, assistive listening system basically if you if you're at like a concert or something that's a really nice feature to look for is a telecoil and i know that the lumen has one a couple of the other brands hp has a hearing a new otc hearing aid sony has a couple of, of otc hearing aids so there's a lot of um, familiar, you know, brands out there that you can that you can look for. Yeah, I think there's a um, the brand Ergo has been making direct to consumer hearing aids for a long time. Um, you know, so they've been in this space for a while. Those are going to be more expensive. The Eargo's tend to run kind of on the really higher end of OTCs. So yeah, I, I would I would um, just just be aware of that
1: as you're shopping. Catherine Roberts. Thank you so much for talking with us on The People's Pharmacy today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to talk about this.
0: You've been listening to Catherine Roberts, a health journalist for Consumer Reports. Her goal as a journalist is to empower consumers to make informed decisions about health products, practices, and treatments. You'll find her recent article, A Complete Guide to Over-The-Counter Hearing Aids at ConsumerReports.org. She evaluates a number of brand-name devices in her article, What to Know About Eargo, Jabra, Lexi, Sony, and other OTC hearing aid brands.
1: We also spoke earlier with Dr. Frank Lynn, professor of otolaryngology at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and director of the Cochlear Center for Hearing and Public Health at the Bloomberg School of Public Health. Dr. Lynn is co-principal investigator of the ACHIEVE study. That acronym stands for Aging and Cognitive Health Evaluation in Elders. There's a link to Dr. Lynn's research in the show notes on our website, and there's also a link to the website he mentioned, hearingnumber.org.
0: Lynn Siegel produced today's show. Al Wadarski engineered. Dave Graydon edits our interviews. B.J. Lederman composed our theme music.
1: This show is a co-production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, with The People's Pharmacy.
0: The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocovia's biggest sale of the year is this Black Friday, Cyber Monday season. Adding cocoflavanols to your daily routine for cardiovascular and cognitive support can help heart and brain health. You can save money while supporting your health goals. Cocovia.com has more information.
1: Today's show is number 1,364. You can find it online at peoplespharmacy.com. That's where you can share your comments about today's interview. Have you tried prescription or over-the-counter hearing aids? What has that experience been like? You can also reach us through email, radio, at peoplespharmacy.com.
0: Our interviews are available through your favorite podcast provider. You'll find our show on the website, peoplespharmacy.com, on Monday morning.
1: At peoplespharmacy.com, you could sign up for our free online newsletter and get the latest news about important health stories. When you subscribe, you also have regular access to information about our weekly podcast, so you can find out ahead of time what topics we'll be covering.
0: In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon.
1: And I'm Terry Graydon. Thank you so much for listening. Please do join us again next week. Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time and costs money. If you like what we do and you'd like to
0: help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in.